Hello and welcome to Counting Pixels. This is a retro gaming podcast for powering down. This is a podcast for slowing down, for reducing stress and anxiety, and preparing for sleep or rest or relaxation, all while meandering through the history of retro video games. This podcast is boring by design. I will definitely spend a lot of time just reading to you, talking with you, sharing some stories from my past, and hopefully giving you something super mindless to listen to, something to take your mind off of anything that you need to take your mind off of uh, so that you can relax and unwind. I'm your host, Tom, and in this episode, We're going to continue where we left off in episode one with Final Fantasy VII. Last time I read a bit from Wikipedia on the history of the game. And then we took a look at PSM Magazine issue number one. I have a lot of fond memories of that magazine and that issue uh, specifically. And uh, we we covered that and time flew by. Uh, I want these episodes to be around an hour. Uh, We hit the hour mark pretty fast uh, with a ton left to explore for Final Fantasy 7 so I decided let's just pick it up in episode 2 and we will continue down the internet rabbit hole but before we start I just want to mention that the information presented in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and does not constitute as medical advice I am not a medical professional and I cannot diagnose or treat any medical conditions. If you have any health concerns, please consult with a qualified healthcare provider and any actions that you take based on the information in this podcast are definitely at your own risk. So it's been a really long week here for me personally. We had both the flu and COVID in our house over the past few weeks, Uh, but everyone has recovered or is recovering quite well. So I am very grateful uh, for my time in front of the microphone, in front of the computer, uh, spending my time with you now. Uh, I've been trying to carve out more time to actually play games. I have a lot of games on my backlog, which I'm trying to clear a bit. Uh, Just about finished with Wario Land 2. Uh, the sequel to Wario Land, originally on the Game Boy Color. Uh, And I'm also working my way through the latest Halo games campaign, Halo Infinite. And I've been a long-standing Xbox Game Pass subscriber, and I decided that I'm going to pause that for most of this year uh, to dig into what I have for other systems. So trying to clear off a lot of Game Pass games uh, my wife and I sat down and played Venba, which is which was a charming little cooking narrative. I uh, definitely recommend that. And then with my kids, we played Toem, which is this kind of stylish photography game, which I really enjoyed as well. Uh, now I'm trying to get through Halo, as I mentioned. I also want to play the new Battletoads, which I haven't played yet. Uh, and then Full Throttle. Uh, Full Throttle Remastered. Uh, This is an old 1995 LucasArts game. Uh, The old point-and-click adventure games. Uh, This one was remastered, I think, for PlayStation. 
uh, PS Vita. It was on Vita as well. Uh, and I was looking at this game, Chicory, too. Uh, probably not going to get there uh, before my subscription runs out. Uh, and all of this is in preparation for Final Fantasy Rebirth, uh, which will no doubt take over all of my gaming time. So I'm trying to clear the plates, so to say, uh, so that I can invest my gaming time into the sequel to Final Fantasy Remake. Uh, so let's get into today's episode. Just sit back or lay back, uh, get comfortable, uh, and just begin to relax as we go down the internet rabbit hole for Final Fantasy VII once again. You can take a few nice full breaths here, uh, really filling the belly if, if you can. And wherever you are listening, I hope you find yourself in a nice and, and comfortable and safe space uh, where you can begin to let go of anything that might have been causing you any stress uh, today or this week. You can scan your body, try to, to Try to bring some awareness to any tension you might have. Uh, when I breathe in, I really try to imagine the breath going right to the area of the tension, bringing oxygen right to where it's needed. And if you are like me, you know, it's really hard to take a pause and press the reset button throughout the day, throughout the week, during our busy lives. You know, from the moment I wake up until I go to bed, uh, I feel like I'm just always on. Uh, and trying to find time to pause every once in a while has been a real work in progress. So it's my hope for you that this podcast is an opportunity for you to do that. If you're enjoying taking this time and being mindful of your breathing or getting relaxed, you can always press pause on the podcast and then come back. Uh, come back when you're ready to go. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into it. That's uh, Tifa's theme from the Final Fantasy VII Piano Collection. I just love that theme. Uh, always brings me back uh, to actually playing playing this game uh, back in 1997. Uh, of course, there's that scene where you actually play the piano, I think, which makes the piano collection hit, hit even harder, you know, uh, because it really does kind of bring me back to that scene and certain scenes in the game. So here's the plan for this episode. Uh, we'll take a quick peek at Final Fantasy VII as covered by some more magazines back in the day. Uh, I have EGM issue 94, which was May 1997, so months before the game was released. EGM 2's coverage in September of 1997. Uh, game Informer 
Volume 7, Issue 9, Number 53, <laughs> September 1997. Pull that up. Uh, we have Game Pro 109, and we have Tips and Tricks Magazine, September 1997 as well, too. Uh, then I want to check out uh, the two players' guides that were released back in 1997. We had Brady Games's official players' guide, official strategy guide, and Versus Books put out an unofficial guide. And, and I had both of these, so it'll be fun, I think, to go through... Uh, to go through these these larger strategy guides uh, and, and pre-internet that's how you got through these games especially in RPG uh, I, I remember uh, at the back of our software etc you know where all the strategy guides were um, I would just spend a lot of time just paging through uh, and some games didn't need them you know, I always thought it was funny when you had certain games, like a Super Mario Brothers game, you know, didn't really need a strategy guide, right? But with an RPG or a fighting game, when you wanted to know everyone's moveset, before we had access to the internet, that was it. You know, that was where you, you went. Uh, so I love kind of going back in time and looking at the way that they covered some of these games in that medium. Uh, and then finally... Uh, I do want to hit up Wikipedia one more time to learn about the compilation of Final Fantasy VII. And this really includes all the additional media that was produced throughout the past few decades, really leading up to the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake in 2020 and, and Rebirth, which is coming out now in almost 10 days. So I'm super excited, uh, super excited for this one. Uh, so let's dive into EGM 94, May 1997. So EGM, of course, being Electronic Gaming Monthly Magazine, produced by Ziff Davis, ZD. You saw that a lot on, on magazines of, of, of the time. Uh, in this particular issue, uh, they are highlighting that PlayStation and N64 now only costs $149, uh, which is pretty, pretty great if you're looking to get one of those consoles. Um, there is an illustration of Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy on the cover. This is not an official illustration. Uh, super neon green tinted. Uh, maybe you had this issue. Maybe you can call this back into your your mind's eye, but Electronic Gaming Monthly is in a very neon green tint. Some of the games featured on the cover here, Spawn, Bruce Willis in Apocalypse, Hexen 2, Mission Impossible, I believe that was the N64 version, Darkstalkers 3, uh, and it says the best RPG ever, Final Fantasy 7, first coverage of US version. So I, I'm assuming the Japanese version was released earlier in the year uh, and EGM is claiming uh, to kind of have first coverage here. Uh, so as I scroll through some additional pages here, a lot of really ridiculous full page, super 1990s ads. 
and on the table of contents here, uh, EGM has the first information on the US version of Final Fantasy VII. The story begins on page 90. So we will fast track our way to page 90. But before we do that, I just want to share too. It says here, if you want the goods, tucked into this exciting issue of EGM are two posters, Jurassic Park on page 99 and WCW vs. The World, which is packed in. Adorn your room, locker, workspace, or anywhere else you choose to hang them. I remember this too. I remember having so many magazine posters on my bedroom wall, um, which was great. Yeah, there's, there's some information here in the beginning of the magazine on price wars. Uh, rumors, barbs abound as Sony and Nintendo drop systems to $149.99. So some competition there. New handheld roars into the portable market. And this is Tiger Interactive's handheld. Game.com, if anyone remembers that. Uh, you could hook it up to a PC modem. Interesting. I, I vaguely remember that one. Maybe that's worth a deep dive one day. Let's zip forward. Breezing past all these ads. Breezing past Mission Impossible. Spawn. Lots of sports ads too. Very popular back on the PlayStation. Tekken 3, I mentioned with fighting games, you always wanted to know those move sets. Darkstalkers. So you get a bit of that here. And here we are, the cover story for Final Fantasy VII. Again, we have an illustration here of a bunch of different characters from the game, uh, but it's not official. So this is very stylized. Uh, and the article here is really, it's, it's very much a teaser. This is an interview. It's titled Finalizing the Fantasy. Every month that goes by is another month closer to the September release of Final Fantasy VII here in the States. Continuing with our coverage of this year's most anticipated RPG, EGM has tracked down the US producer of Final Fantasy VII for SCEA, Seth Luizzi, and asked him about the latest developments and other key concerns in the translation of the epic RPG. So this coverage is really just an interview uh, with Seth from Sony on the translation and kind of finalizing of the game. So some questions that were asked, how will the translation process, how long will the translation process take? What is the most difficult aspect of translating a game such as Final Fantasy VII? And Seth says, 
usually the most difficult aspect of translating an RPG is making the direct Japanese to English text translation read correctly in English. The sentence structure and grammar rules for the Japanese language is very different from English. As such, it is very difficult to make the translation seem as though it was originally written in English. Also, the names of items in the game may not have a direct English translation. Square is very skilled in the translation process, and FF7 will be a testament to that quality. How many people are directly involved in the US side of the production? As a reference point, how many were involved for Wild Arms and Beyond the Beyond, which are also RPGs? Uh, so this is interesting. Um, Beyond the Beyond involved four production personnel directly working on the translation. Wild Arms had a tighter schedule, so they had seven people working on the translation. And Final Fantasy VII had 50 people working on the US translation. Uh, so in terms of scale and scope, you can start to see that. Uh, question from EGM. There has been some controversy regarding certain mature aspects of the game. Will Sony censor the game in any way for the U.S. audience? If so, what specifically? Sony Computer Entertainment of America has always maintained its intent to preserve the greatness of Final Fantasy VII. It is a masterpiece, a work of art, and we have every intention of keeping the integrity of Square's work intact. I don't actually remember if anything did get truly censored. I don't think so. So I think they stayed true to that intent. Uh, but I would have to go back and check on that. Some other questions here. Uh, will anything major be added to the US version that was not in the Japanese game? If so, what would it be? The response here, we do not have plans to add anything to the US version. Are there any difficulty adjustments planned that would make the game easier or harder for the US? No enhancements of this nature currently planned. Uh, what has been the reaction you have received so far from the gaming public about the anticipated release of Final Fantasy VII in the U.S.? Final Fantasy VII is one of the most anticipated video game launches of all time. There's a general sense of excitement surrounding this title from consumers and retailers alike, and we, along with the gaming community, are anxiously awaiting the title launch in September Uh, questions around if they're anticipating any shortages when the game is released. Uh, what, is, what is Seth's initial impression of the game so far? Seth says he is awestruck. Final Fantasy VII really shows off the power of the PlayStation and the advantage of the CD medium. And as an RPG fan, I'm in heaven. Uh, maybe taking some jabs there at Nintendo. Uh, who lost the Final Fantasy franchise at this point due to the CD medium uh, being kind of coveted by the development team. In your opinion, how does Final Fantasy VII directly compare to games available for competing game systems? Another layup here for a jab and Seth says, Final Fantasy VII is incomparable to any other game on any other hardware system. 
The storyline, the graphics, the music, and gameplay really set in a class, sit in a class by itself. Trust me, you have never experienced anything like Final Fantasy VII before. In your opinion, how does Final Fantasy VII relate to the previous games in the series? And Seth says every Final Fantasy game has always had a completely separate storyline, world, and cast of characters from previous games in the series. However, certain gameplay mechanics, magic techniques, items, and the Moogles and Chocobos are common throughout the series to help build the identity that it is a Final Fantasy game. And Final Fantasy VII relates to the previous games in the series in the same manner. It's a pretty cookie cutter answers here. Uh, what is the most outstanding feature of the game to you? Seth says, the feature that I find most remarkable about Final Fantasy VII is the way that it truly immerses you in its fictional world. Like a good movie or novel, you get so engrossed in the story and events that you actually begin to feel as if you are a part of the world. Final Fantasy VII is an epic adventure. And there's a little shot here of what is likely a, a translator uh, playing the game at a desk on a super tiny, you know, 12 or 13 inch CRT TV really calls you back, you know, to the, to the time. And, and that's it. That's the coverage. So it's just a quick interview with Seth and, you know, that they felt the, the urge to build this as the first coverage of, of a U.S. of the U.S. version. And I mean, honestly, there's really not much coverage here. So they took some creative liberties there for sure. Let's take a look at a magazine released closer, closer to the actual game coming out in the U.S. I have Game Informer Volume 7, Issue 953 here. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, this one was September of 1997. And on the cover here, we have the official polygon renderings of Cloud and Eris and it says Final Fantasy 7 the most amazing RPG we've ever seen we've also have uh, Banjo-Kazooie Colony Wars, Metal Gear Mischief Makers Final Fantasy Tactics let's not forget about that game releasing relatively soon and hands-on with Tomb Raider 2, starring Lara Croft. We also have Star Wars Masters of Tereskasi. And if you don't know that game, please look it up. That game is a Star Wars fighting game, and it is not great. GoldenEye 007. Nightmare Creatures. Nightmare Creatures was a pretty cool game, if I remember correctly. So looking at the table of contents, the cover story, Final Fantasy VII, with the world's greatest RPG finally here. Game Informer, 
has an in-depth review, a complete strategy guide with everything you'll ever need to know, and tons of pictures spread across a whopping 13 pages of pure RPG madness. So let's zip to page 10. Final Fantasy VII, better than all the rest. Size, three CD-ROMs. Style, one-player role-playing game. Special features, tons of detailed FMV sequences. Complex combat and weapon equipping structure. Five different transportation vehicles, nine playable characters two new U.S. exclusive bosses, beautiful pre-rendered backdrop paintings, Mogs, and Chocobos. Created by Squaresoft for Sony Computer Entertainment, available September 7th for the Sony PlayStation. And here uh, we have 10 characters shown using their official illustrations as well, kind of mirroring the illustrative style that is found in the instruction manual for this game and uh yeah these all look to be the official so we have all the main players including sephiroth here this game got great scores uh from andy the game ombre reiner the raging gamer and paul the game professor those are the Game Informer reviewers. Andy gave it a 9.75. He says the proof is in the pudding and Final Fantasy VII is the best RPG ever made. The graphics will blow you away. The story will eat at your mind. The sound will scare you. And the gameplay and secrets will glue your hands to the controller for weeks. There's just so much to do and see in this game that you will want to play again and again. And this is coming from a person who has played through the game twice already. Final Fantasy VII is a game that you just have to play. Even if you don't like RPGs, this game will make you a devout follower. Trust me, it's that good. Reiner the Raging Gamer says really what can you say final fantasy 7 is easily the greatest role-playing game of all time and even if squaresoft releases a sequel within the next year or two it's going to take a lot to top this offering the attention to detail creativity in the story and the sophisticated combat and general gameplay are simply mind-blowing final fantasy 7 does no wrong throughout the entire game and when you do come across the lengthy finale, you'll crave for more. If there's even a hint of role-playing in your blood, give this game a whirl. This could easily be the best game released this year. And Paul the Game Professor says, I'm really at a loss for words after playing what is undoubtedly the greatest RPG of all time. You could probably tell from all of our previous coverage and the reviews of my comrades that this game is rock solid. Everything from graphics to storyline will absolutely suck you into this game. However, I was a little disappointed that Square broke away from some of the interactive elements relating to battles. I thought the special moves introduced in Final Fantasy 3, Final Fantasy 6 in Japan were killer. 
Yet this is just one small gripe about a game that is otherwise nothing short of spectacular. A worthy investment for your gaming time and dollars. So they have a full review here. I'm not gonna read everything. And then they start with a walkthrough. Play to perfection, a game monger strategy guide. They have basic training, reminding you to save often, especially before you bite a boss, fight a boss, excuse me. Disc one, they have the Mako industrial complex. And then they have the Ajito Avalanche's headquarters. And that must be Seventh Heaven, the bar. Uh, maybe it wasn't named yet at the time that they played through a specific version that they used for this strategy guide. Uh, Area 5, meeting with Aerith for the first time. Into the slums. The battle for Area 7. Inside Shinra. I mentioned this on the last episode. Uh, one of the best kind of chapters in this game is when you storm uh, the Shinra building. You have to go through all these different floors. Uh, and each floor has a different activities you need to do to get the access keys to unlock the next floor uh, and then eventually you get to President Shinra's office and, and you find some interesting plot twists there uh, and then once you escape Midgar uh, in the famous motorcycle scene uh, you head to this, the town of Calm you stay in an inn and that's when you start to have a initial flashback uh, to learn more about uh, what happened in Nibelheim. And it's so cool because you learn about that through the flashback. And then eventually in the game, you get there. And I just remember that feeling of, I know this place from the story that was told. And now I'm here. Uh, and after all you've seen and all you've been through, uh, that's a really cool moment in in this game. Uh, and I'm excited to experience that in the remake uh, in Rebirth, which again releases in about 10 or 11 days. It's coming up. We have our Chocobo farm, the Mithril Mines, the Golden Bird. That is uh, as you're heading towards Junon. Uh, Fort Condor uh, you can play a strategic kind of military game uh, there as well there's a whole section here on breeding chocobos which I won't get into here uh, and then of course just going through more of disc one we learn more about Sid Yuffie, Wutai, the quest for the Keystone over at the Gold Saucer. Lots of, lots of great chapters, lots of great scenes here. 
searching for the black materia. Uh, and then here it says death in the family. Uh, and there's actually, there's an image of Aerith. Um, laying down with her eyes closed. So hopefully that wasn't a big spoiler if you were reading through this magazine because that moment, if it wasn't spoiled for you, it was such an intense moment uh, playing through this game at the time of the release. So uh, insert disc two, it says here, and as a reference point, we finished the disc one in 26 hours and 20 minutes with cloud at level 40. Uh, I think that sounds about right. I think that sounds about right. And then they cover disc two here and disc three. Uh, so they really did uh, take you through the whole game. They talk about the ultimate weapons that you can fight too. Uh, Ruby Weapon. This guy is new to the American version of FF7. He only appears after you defeat the ultimate weapon. Absolutely brutal boss fight, by the way. Absolutely brutal. Ruby Weapon. And then, of course, it's the final battle uh, with Sephiroth. And that concludes their coverage of Final Fantasy VII. I'm just going to read off, actually, Game Informer's top 10. I love these because it really sets you back in the time, you know, of what games were popular, what others were playing. Um, so the editor's top 10 console games for September 1997. According to Game Informer, uh, number 10, Marvel Superheroes. For Sega Saturn, The Lost World Jurassic Park Arcade Edition, Tobal 2 for PlayStation, Triple Play 98 for PlayStation, GoldenEye 007 for N64, Oddworld Abe's Odyssey for PlayStation, Madden 98 for PlayStation and Sega Saturn, Treasures of the Deep for PlayStation, Star Fox 64 for N64 and Final Fantasy 7 of course for Sony PlayStation. Readers top 10 console games, Fighters Mega Mix for Sega Saturn, Donkey Kong Country 3 for Super Nintendo. Let's not forget Super Nintendo still active. Resident Evil for PlayStation, International Superstar Soccer 64, Torok the Dinosaur Hunter for Nintendo 64, WCW vs. The World for PlayStation, Triple Play 98, Tomb Raider, Soul Blade, and Star Fox 64. It's the reader's top 10 console games. And here are your top 10 video game conspiracies, according to Game Informer. Sega Saturn's design is supposedly modeled after Pluto. All of the Mortal Kombat characters are real, and they conduct secret tournaments at the YMCA on the corner of Rosemont and 7th. Sega owns Sony, Nintendo owns Sega, and Pillsbury owns Nintendo. 
Crash Bandicoot is actually the offspring of Fox McCloud and Samus. An organization known as GIG Gamers in Green has been monitoring the gaming scene since 1977. They say that Eric Reppin will return to school before the October GI hits resale. The Sega Black Belt hardware is now known as the Mars Rover. Hedgehogs are brown, not blue. In Roswell, New Mexico, it is rumored that there is a PlayStation that lays golden eggs. Chocobo is the secret ingredient in KFC's crispy recipe. That's terrible. And the top 10 video conspiracy number one is Lara Croft is a man. That confuses me. And it feels a little insensitive. I'll be honest with you. I think it's time to close the book on Game Informer issue number 53. I'm going to skip over GamePro 109. I'll pop open Tips and Tricks. September 1997. So Tips and Tricks uh, 1997 did something that really frustrated me back in the day. And that was, they spoiled everything. And it's no different here with Final Fantasy VII. So with Tips and Tricks, not only do they really take you through most of the game, which is great because I would expect them to, because you're paying for the full strategy of the game. But on the last page, the final coverage or the final page of their coverage uh, it says epilogue spoiler warning here's hoping you make it to your last battle with a party having experience levels in the mid to high 60s the last three enemies will test your patience and require quick thinking to overcome try to maintain a battle plan three steps ahead of yourself After the hour-long battle is over, it may take longer, sit down, turn up the volume, and prepare for the most stunning computer-rendered ending ever produced for a role-playing game. Quite possibly any genre, for that matter. The ending is so massive that it occupies practically 75% of the third CD in the set. And you wondered what the $28 million was spent on? Enjoy. You deserve it. But below this paragraph, uh, it says 500 years later, and there's screen grabs from the final FMV, the final cinematic of the game. And then it says the end question mark. And it's just frustrates me to no end (laughs) that uh, they actually included screen grabs from the final cinematic and not just let you enjoy it. Uh, without giving you that that preview. Um, but there is a lot of coverage and tips and tricks. Um, so if you were, you know, really looking to get ahead in this game, uh, this was a good magazine to pick up, for sure. But nothing compares to the player's guides. Nothing compares to 
picking up a Brady Games official strategy guide for any game. Any game. They were so well done. The Brady Games strategy guides. Uh, and I've had quite a few uh, back in the day. Uh, so just looking at the Brady Games strategy guide, which was official. So we have the official image of Cloud with the Buster Sword on his back, looking up at the Shinra Tower. Um, it says, don't settle for anything less. Get all the secrets straight from Squaresoft. Table of contents here, we have game basics, the characters, walkthrough, side, area, side areas, uh, beast diary, weapons, armor, accessories, items, materia, and then a world map. Uh, and this was official in the sense that they worked with Square uh, and they had a quality assurance department, right? To make sure that this game, uh, game strategy guide really covered everything that you need to know about this game. General tips, save often, talk to everyone. Major events in the game often change what some characters say and do. If some earth shattering or if something earth shattering occurs, revisit nearby villages to see if anything has changed. Some tips here for your materia and spells, some battle tips. And then before it even got into the story or introducing you to the characters, there's a whole section here for materia combinations. Elemental, mega all, command counter, some of the more advanced, final attack, quad magic, some of the more complex combinations. Sneak attack, steal, mega all, Begin battle by causing damage to everyone and stealing an item from everyone. Preemptive sneak attack, Knights of the Round, HP, MP. Gives the party the jump on opponents and allows them to be in combat with Knights of the Round, which I mentioned last episode was kind of the final summon in the game. Most powerful summon that you could get. A character with HP, MP can use attack repeatedly without a need for rest. And then we have a look at each of the characters, quick bio, Cloud Strife. At age 21, Cloud Strife leads the life of a mercenary for hire. As an ex-member of Shinra's elite squad known as Soldier, his fighting skills are high in demand. Cloud joins the rebel group Avalanche their first strike against one of Shinra's huge Mako reactors that surround the city of Midgar. The storyline of Final Fantasy VII revolves around Cloud. In fact, most of the time you're required to have him in your party because he plays a key role in most of the events in the game. Over time, Cloud proves to be a great asset because his powerful sword technique is nearly unmatched. You'll want to keep Cloud in your front line most of the time to take full advantage of his sword technique. His magic skills are solid, but don't overload him with materia. Uh, some of his famous limit breaks are listed here. Braver, 
cross slash blade beam climb hazard Meteor of Rain, Finishing Touch, and then his level 4 Limit Break, which was a special attack, was Omni Slash. Barrett Wallace, 35 year old leader of the rebel team known as Avalanche. Barrett often regrets having to leave his young daughter Marlene alone or in the care of others. Barrett's motives are unclear, but most believe that Shinra was somehow responsible for the death of his wife. His final limit break, Catastrophe. Tifa Lockhart, Tifa and Cloud were childhood friends, but parted ways when Cloud left his hometown of Nebelheim to join Soldier. When her parents died, Tifa also left Nebelheim and headed for Midgar. Soon after opening her bar, Tifa's seventh heaven, she met Barrett and joined his ragtag group of rebels known as Avalanche. It's her goal to make sure Cloud remains with Avalanche after his first mission with the team. Final Heaven is her level four limit break. Eris. Gainsborough. A beautiful 22-year-old heiress is a bright spot in the middle of a dark and dreary town. While selling flowers near Avalanche's first target, heiress's life was forever altered after a chance meeting with Cloud. Because of her mysterious background, Shinra has pursued her for most of her life. Now she must fight against those who would enslave her and destroy what she holds most dear. Eris is the closest character Final Fantasy VII has to a dedicated magic user. Her physical attacks are fairly weak, but she possesses great skill with materia and its various forms. Due to this odd balance, you should put her in your back line and load her down with materia. Let Eris devote her energies to spell casting while her teammates concentrate on inflicting physical damage. This also takes advantage of her defensive-based limit breaks, and her final limit break was Great Gospel. We've read 13. Cosmo Memory, Sid Highwind. His final limit break was just the Highwind, where he calls the Highwind for assistance, unleashing a whole bunch of bombs on an enemy or a group of enemies. Uh, we have Yuffie. Yuffie the Thief. Kate Sith. Or as some pronounce, I think, Kat She. Always say Kate Sith back in the day, personally. Uh, Vincent Valentine, who was just one of the coolest characters in a video game. Uh, super emo and brooding but i loved uh vincent it says talk about a dark presence vincent sends chills down the toughest person's spine although he may look evil at first there's a good soul trapped beneath his dark exterior vincent's plight is yet another example of shinra's warped experimentation however there's more to this story than just bungled scientific research and he actually transformed into like weird 
strange characters for his limit breaks. And uh, once you transformed, I, I, you weren't really able to control him for the rest of the battle. His level four was Chaos, which was a winged demon uh, with non-elemental attacks. And then we get into the walkthrough for this game. Uh, and it's very extensive, lots of great screenshots. They have little callouts for the enemies that you would encounter and their weaknesses in each section. Um, I believe, you know, they don't do a bad job with spoilers, if I remember correctly. And because we're running out of time, I'll just read some of the headlines, some of the headings here in the walkthrough. We have the Flower Girl, Sector 5 Slums, Wall Market. The Sewers in the Train Graveyard. A lot of these were really well done in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, the Pillar Assault, where you fight Reno of the Turks at the top of the pillar. Uh, that pillar comes down, and then the next section is Aftermath. And you are in the ruined playground adjacent to what was Sector 7. That playground is also iconic as well. Uh, the storming of Shinra's headquarters. There is uh, Sephiroth at Nebelheim with uh, the flashback, famous flashback, as I mentioned earlier. That happens at Calm Town, Mithril uh, Mine. Uh, there is a snake that you need to, uh, there's a snake in a swamp. And in order to cross the swamp, uh, you have to be on a chocobo. So this uh, introduces you to riding chocobos and, and recruiting chocobos catching them uh, and the Midgar Zalem is the snake uh, and if you try to go up against the snake on your own you're typically underpowered and you lose right away uh, and then after you cross the marsh uh, the next scene is the Midgar Zalem the snake impaled on a broken tree uh, the visual is outstanding it's so gruesome and because you know how powerful that snake was if you encountered it the fact that Sephiroth could have done it uh, by himself, it it really portrays Sephiroth as this force to be reckoned with uh, as you're in pursuit throughout the rest of the game. You start to get more of that uh, bits and pieces throughout. Uh, with Junon, some great scenes there as well too. The Shinra boat, uh, where you fight Genova Birth. Uh, on the boat you dock at Costa del Sol which is kind of a resort town vacation town next we have Mount Coral there's these train tracks in Mount Coral that always reminded me of a Donkey Kong Country game with the minecart sequence uh, where you have to kind of run on these uh, train tracks that go up and down 
And the visual always reminded me of DKC. North Coral, Gold Saucer, Coral Prison. That's where you fight Dine, who's another character I'm really interested to see in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Uh, the Chocobo Race at the Gold Saucer. Then we have Gongaga Village. You fight Reno and Rude there. Cosmo Canyon. That is the hometown of Red 13. You learn a little bit more about his history. You learn about his parents. And then you finally get to Nebelheim. And I had mentioned, I love this uh, because you get one side of the story early on and then you just show up and it's just so eerie and different. Uh, everyone insists that nothing happened there. Uh, there's the, the clones ca calling for the great Sephiroth uh, in the black, in their black capes. Uh, you get to explore Shinra Mansion. Mount Nebel, uh, you go up to the reactor. Uh, then you end up at Rocket Town. You meet Sid. You fight Palmer behind Sid's house. Uh, that's amazing because he gets hit by a truck, right? Um, after that, that battle. Uh, and then you get to control the tiny Bronco, which was one of Sid's ships. Uh, we have Wutai, where Yuffie is from. There's a lot to do there. Shockingly, there's a lot to do in, in Wutai. Uh, Wutai plays a, a big role in the just general history of Final Fantasy VII. There's a lot to, to that. Uh, the Cat in the Keystone, Temple of the Ancients, Bone Village, The Sleeping Forest, City of the Ancients, End of Disc 1. Icicle Inn, you have the snowboarding sequence, which always reminded me of Cool Borders, if you remember that game. The Great Glacier, never really appreciated that sec that section of the game. It was very difficult. I remember getting stuck there a lot. Uh, and then you have the Crater, the initial visit to the Crater, uh, the Execution, you find yourself back in Junon uh, and then you get separated from Cloud. You have the search for Cloud, Medeal, Runaway Train, Return to Fort Condor, Cloud's Coma. You fight Ultimate Weapon outside of Medeal. Uh, Medeal gets destroyed. You have the underwater reactor, the submarine battle, another fun little mini game, the first man in space. The Ancient Machine, Return to Midgar, that's when you fight Proud Claude, and I believe Hojo, and then you have the final confrontation with Sephiroth and Genova. Uh, but of course there are so many side areas that you can explore as well, and the back half of this strategy guide is all about 
all the extra areas, all the materia caves, breeding chocobos, getting special items, getting your ultimate weapons, fighting the actual weapons, including ruby and emerald weapon. Tips on all the mini games at the gold saucer. And then finally they have all the items, all the accessories, all the weapons, all the, all the stats of every enemy and a world map, kind of a, a double world map. And I remember using that quite extensively back in the day. Now I did mention, I also had the final fantasy seven ultimate guide from versus books. This was unofficial, and you can tell by the cover. It actually looks like the same illustration style uh, for EGM. I had mentioned EGM used in kind of unofficial mock-up of some of these characters. Yeah, it is. It is. It's the it is the same rendering of Cloud, but is the unofficial an unofficial unofficial illustration of Cloud. Uh, here, Final Fantasy VII Ultimate Guide, completely unauthorized, only $9.99, free giant poster, all the secrets, all the spells and limit breaks, all the secret locations, all the weapons, items, and materia, all the skills and summon spells, plus incredible materia combos, hundreds of full color maps, and original artwork. Uh, so here we have, again, we have a robust walkthrough um it looks to be you know a 93 page or so walkthrough uh, and then other sections we have a world map optional quests uh chocobo raising finding the ancient weapons gold saucer um and all the armor accessories and items here as well too uh the layout in this is not as clean uh it's definitely a a tougher layout to read. I do remember having this one though too, having both, not really needing both, but having them. Um, a lot of the same information, but again, this one felt much more crowded just in terms of the layout and uh, certainly unofficial as the name would imply. So we are once again coming up to the hour mark and I did not even get to the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, which I had hoped to do. And I barely scratched the surface with the second player's guide. So in true counting pixels fashion, and I know this is only episode two, I will push the compilation of Final Fantasy VII to episode three. And I'm going to allow this because Rebirth is coming out so soon and I'm excited for it. Uh, so this extra coverage of Final Fantasy VII is, is not a bad thing by any means. Uh, and hopefully you appreciate it. Uh, me just rambling on and on. And as I was reading off some of those headings for the different scenes throughout the game, if you played this game more than a few times, hopefully you've mentally kind of walked through 
and recalled playing as well in preparation, hopefully, for Rebirth, uh, which will cover a lot of those scenes, which may or may not be uh, may or may not be the same. Uh, they might greatly alter how this story plays out. And I'm here for it. So again, my name's Tom, and this has been the second episode of Counting Pixels. You can always learn more and subscribe at countingpixelspod.com or through your favorite podcast app. The intro song that we heard was by G's. That song is called Tweezum. And the background music that we're listening to was Our Peaceful Ocean by Music of Wisdom. Uh, I have links to those songs in the show notes if you want to check them out. Both songs are used with permission. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the information presented in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. I'm not a medical professional and I cannot diagnose or treat any medical conditions. So if you have any health concerns, definitely consult with a qualified healthcare provider. Any actions you take based on the information in this podcast are at your own risk. It has been my absolute pleasure to spend some more time with you today or tonight wherever this podcast may find you and if you're still struggling to wind down or fall asleep feel free to play an earlier episode you could always put this on repeat or find another great podcast to listen to really designed for this because I think it's important to give your mind a much needed rest and to slow down uh, even if it means doing nothing and listening to a podcast about Final Fantasy 7 where the host just reads to you from magazines <laughs> so boring by design boring by design uh, your time and attention it means the world to me if you enjoyed this podcast you can always leave a review on your favorite podcast listening app of choice your favorite podcast service Uh, but more importantly if you enjoyed this episode subscribe so you can listen to the future episodes that helps me a ton Uh, but also feel free to tell a friend or share in a community uh, if you are in a discord community or a reddit community uh, and anyone's looking for a new retro gaming podcast something different uh, or if anyone is also looking for support uh, to relieve some stress and anxiety and have a different type of podcast to help do that from time to time uh, please feel free to recommend counting pixels again my name is tom i'll be back for another one more Final Fantasy 7. We'll cover the compilation of Final Fantasy 7 for real this time. As always, sleep well, be well, be good to yourself, and be good to each other.